We started the book of Acts May 29th. September the 4th, we're knocking out the last two chapters of the book. And after we finish this, I challenge you to go back and read it again. Go back and read it again. Because it's powerful what it is that the Lord wants to speak and the Holy Spirit wants to speak through us and to us in this book. What we have is the beginning of the church. We have the disciples meeting together. Uh, Jesus ascends, uh, ascends into heaven. The disciples meet together in an upper room. The Holy Spirit moves in might and in power like never before and fills them. We know that as Pentecost, they go out. Peter preaches and 3,000 are added to their number that day. Amen. That's the kind of revival I'm talking about. That's the, the, the great outpouring in, 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 in preaching the gospel. And then we see the church begin to grow. We see them persecuted. We see them experience hardship, but we see the church grow. It's so interesting. Through Acts, we would continue to hear suffering, hardship, struggle. And after that, it said, and the Lord added to their numbers. It would say, this was going on and that was going on, and the church continued to grow. Then we hit Acts chapter 9, and one of the key persecutors of the church, his name was Saul, comes to meet Jesus in a powerful way. Peter has the opportunity in Acts chapter 10 to preach to the Gentiles, to Cornelius, sees Cornelius come to Christ, and then is able to affirm what Paul is called to do, and that is preach to the Gentiles, anyone who is not a Jew. And, he, and Paul goes on and begins uh, three different missionary trips until he feels compelled to go to Jerusalem, at which point many have told him, uh, many of his uh, uh, fellow believers have said, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go, you're going to get, you know, all this stuff's going to happen, it's, it's going to be bad, you're going to get in prison, we'll never see you again. And yet, Paul feels compelled to go to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem, and he gets arrested. He gets in prison. But then he appeals. He appeals to Caesar, the emperor in Rome. He's had opportunity to share with other leaders the gospel, and now here we are, the last two chapters of, of Acts, and he's about to board a ship headed for Rome to speak to no other, none other than the emperor of Rome, really the emperor of the world practically at that point, Caesar. So if you turn with me real quick, Acts chapter 27, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to to the Imperial Regiment. So here's Paul along with other prisoners on board this ship. Now, mind you, Paul could already be free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had to go through this because nobody found that he'd done anything wrong. But he appealed to Caesar, therefore he is still considered a prisoner until he has audience with Caesar. So they board this ship. They board this ship. And, and, and what we find out is the reason Paul feels so compelled to go to Rome is Acts chapter 23, 11. Uh, he, was, he had just been arrested, and he's already spoken to the Jewish council, and he declares this in Acts 23, 11. Take courage, the Lord told me. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Jesus told Paul that he was supposed to go where? Rome. Now, how many think Paul knew that this was not going to be easy? How many think they knew, that, that Paul knew this was going to be tough stuff about to happen? This was not going to be just a little jaunt 
to Rome. Caesar's going to hear him. Caesar's going to get saved. The whole Roman Empire is going to get saved. It's all going to be good. Did Paul have that in his mind? No, Paul knew this was not going to be easy. This was going to be tough. But here's the thing, and folks, don't miss this. If you miss anything else, don't miss this. When God speaks something, he will accomplish it every time. He said, take courage. As you have testified in Jerusalem, you had to testify in Rome. When God says, this is going to happen, guess what that typically means? It's going to happen. So what we do know is in the last couple chapters, and even if Paul is dragged underwater for an hour and a half, somehow a, a miraculous air pocket will have kept him alive. If he had a death sentence sentenced over him, if the executioner was standing there with the axe at his neck, somehow Paul would have ended up with an iron neck. Because when God sets out to do something, it will be done. And in this point, he looked at Paul and said, take courage. Everybody say, take courage. In fact, you probably need to look at your neighbor sometimes and say, take courage. Maybe you need to look in the mirror and say, take courage. Because God spoke to Paul. Jesus said, just as you testified in Jerusalem, I need you to testify in Rome. So, by Paul's own request, he could have been a free man, but what did Paul say? I appeal to Caesar in Rome. He forgo his free, he forgo, got rid of his freedom. <laughs> Does anybody catch that? Paul, by his own mouth, turned away from freedom, physical freedom. Because he trusted God more than he did the government. He trusted God more than he did the leaders, the guards, everything else. Who hears that today? He trusted the, the, he trusted the Lord more with his life. Here's the thing. Nowhere in the Gospels, nowhere in Acts, nowhere in letters, does Paul truly refer to himself as a prisoner of Rome. He only, we see, I believe it was in Philippians or, or, or Philemon, he only refers to himself once directly as a prisoner of Christ. Now, I have to say this to you all because this slapped me in the face. So maybe I can slap you in the face. Until you are able to declare who you are a prisoner of, you will never know freedom. You will never know freedom. I'm a prisoner to my circumstances, then you will never know freedom. I'm a prisoner to how I feel about things, well, you will never know freedom. But when you say, I am a prisoner to Christ Jesus, I'm in chains for the sake of the gospel, you will know freedom. So by his own request, he was sent to Rome. We, and, and, and so we pick up here where... Uh, He's about to sail off. Now, interestingly enough, the weather was already a little crazy. And so they're headed to Rome. And if you guys remember correctly, when Paul said, I want to go to Jerusalem, everybody else was saying, don't go, don't go. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Well, uh, they're about to get on the boat. And Paul says, don't go, don't go. This is going to be bad. We need to wait. See, they were in a little harbor known as Fairhaven. And it wasn't really a good place to be. 
to winterize or to winter for, um, uh, the boat and everybody to stay because two, two reasons. It, wa it was kind of dangerous weather-wise, but it was also a very boring place. See, the group of them on the boat, uh, the, 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 the soldiers, the captains, they all decided, hey, we want to go to Phoenix, not Arizona. We want to go to Phoenix. We want to go and we want to dock there for the winter uh, because it's safer there and uh, they didn't say it, but there was a whole heck of a lot more entertainment in Phoenix. And here's the funny part. If they got on the boat, all they had to do was take a day trip. Did you hear that? A day trip to Phoenix. But Paul, I really believe, had sensed something in his spirit, and he says, don't go. Don't go. In fact, if we look real quick, Acts 27, verse 9 says, much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, and because... And because by now it was after the Day of Atonement, so Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous, bring great loss to ship and cargo, into our own lives also. Now, verse 11 says, But the centurion, who uh, was over Paul, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. And so they decide, No, we can make this day trip. So they wait, and suddenly the weather dies down, this little breeze comes in from the south. They think, we're good. Just need to take a day to get to Phoenix. Here we go. Well, Paul already knew what was up. Remember, he's trying to do what God's called him to do, get to Rome in one piece so he can declare the gospel. Danger this time was thrust upon Paul when he didn't ask for it. Because what we find out is this. Within a, within a matter of hours a northeaster began to move across the great sea. And what should have been a day trip turned out to 14 days lost at sea, basically. Blown around. In fact, by the third day, they had ripped all the tackle off. The sails, which helped control the sails and everything, had thrown that over, thrown all the cargo over, just to protect themselves and keep themselves from being lost. Paul tried to avoid the storm, it was thrust upon him. But I think what this really speaks to us is this. How many have been in the, have felt like you're in the will of God and then something crazy happens? Just let me see your hand. Come on, straw poll. You've been in the will of God and something crazy happens. And suddenly when something crazy happens, you begin to question, have I done the wrong thing? Oh, come on, come on, let's see it. How many say, have I done the wrong thing? Yeah. I've probably shared this before, but it's the greatest example I know of. In 1982, my dad says, I must be crazy, but I'm going to quit my job in Covington, have no income. I've got two children. I'm going to pull them out of Covington, take them up to Harrisonburg. I'm going to put them up there because God's called me to go back to school. We have no income, no house, no nothing, and that's what I feel like God's going to do. God provides a house. God provides a way to school, the whole nine yards. And two weeks after we moved there, I go down a hill, 100 miles an hour, so I wished, on my bicycle and ran right into a car. So that night as I'm laying in the hospital with massive head injuries, my body's broken on the right side. Remember, I'm the one who did it first. Then there are just copycatters. For those of you who don't know, Pastor Jim did this a little bit later. You can bet what mulled over in my father's, my, my literal father's head 
Did we do the wrong thing? Did I hear you wrong, God? Did I move in a wrong direction? What? 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 Long story short, for his point and everybody else's point, storms will always persist even if you're in God's will. Stop avoiding it. There are storms that the enemy throws upon us. There are storms that we just encounter simply out of the issues that are going on around us. There are those storms. Don't take storms as you being out of God's will. We're very quick to do that and quit. We become quitters very quickly. But remember, God had something awesome in store. So here, the boat's getting rocked, getting thrown around. Paul's probably going, I told them. But we find out in Acts chapter 27, let's look at 21, verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Okay, men, yeah, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. And you would have had spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now, are you guys ready for this? Drum roll, please. I urge you, keep your courage. What did the Lord tell Paul back in the day? Take courage. What is he telling these men? Take courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Well, hold up. We're in the middle of the worst storm we've ever been in. We've just gotten rid of everything we possibly could. It looks like no hope says not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. That was fun. What's the only thing keeping you alive at that point? Only the ship will be destroyed, but your lives will not be lost. Remember, what was Paul called to do, folks? Point to the good news. Declare the gospel. He goes on to say, Last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. How many here struggle at times saying, I don't hear God? I want to, but I don't hear him. Anybody? Okay. I ha- I, thank you, Denise. Who reads their word at any given time? Who says, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart? It can be spoken through this right here. Then there is the still small voice. Then there is the moments when God speaks very clearly and no one else hears but you. All those happen. But I have to ask, I believe it starts here. He has already declared things over you. How many people struggle to read their word not realizing that this is God speaking to who? And then Paul can confidently say, I have faith to believe that just as he has said, it will happen. It will take, it, it will take place. See, here's the thing. We have to understand, and this is where it all brings... I, I was saying for a little while, I was looking at Acts for a while when I was studying this. I thought, well, Acts chapter 1 through 9, or 1 through 9 seems to be about the church in general, the disciples becoming the early church. Acts chapter 10 and on seems to be about Paul. But now I realize that Acts has nothing to do with any of them. They aren't the key figures. 
The key issue is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus. The good news. Oh, everybody's looking at me. The good news of Jesus. He came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. He gave his life that you may have life. He succeeded because you failed. He made right what we were already in the where we were already in the wrong. He came to set the captive free. The gospel is the issue, folks. Look at your neighbor real quick, because I've got to stir some people up here. The gospel is the issue. Just tell that person next to you. The gospel is the issue. The gospel is the issue. The promise of God. He will fulfill his promise, folks. He will fulfill his plan and purpose. He will fulfill it. And for those of us who have heard God speak, in fact, I'm speaking right now to some of you who are just teetering, and that includes me. Yes, I'm teetering. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Dave? Well, I've had eight months from hell. I'm just telling you now. And I have found my faith being chipped away at and chipped away at and chipped away at. And the only way that I knew how to keep moving forward was grabbing hold of the Word. And sometimes it was one verse to hold on to for a whole week. Well, Dave, you didn't act like it. Well, I'm sorry, and I do apologize completely. Eight months from hell, and I'm done with it. I'm tired of it. And here's the funny part. The Lord didn't say, uh, the, the, the Lord didn't um, in any way say, you know, well, you've got to keep walking through it. No, he said, come to me, ye who are weary, and I'll give you rest. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, it appears to me that for the last eight months, you've been trying to figure this thing out yourself. And I said, yep, I have. And he said, so when are you going to be done and realize that, uh, I've already figured it out. Cling to me. Come, you. You've been weary. Now choose to receive rest. See, here's the thing. We all roll in here every Sunday morning, don't we? We roll in here every Sunday morning with our our church face. Actually, I should say churchy face. Got your little churchy face on. That's not, what the, that's not what the gathering of God's people is about. Putting on a churchy face. That's what serving Satan's all about. Did you just hear what I said? Now, maybe that was harsh, but that was for me. When you want to serve the lies of the enemy, you put on a face so nobody knows the truth going on inside of you. So you look apart. But you're not helping anybody and you're not helping yourself. It's when we get down here and say, God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm undone. (laughs) No more. No more. I'm tired of figuring it out. I don't know why this is going on. But what I do know is that I give my heart to you. And my eyes are fixed upon you. And you said, if I lean not on my own understanding, but acknowledge you in all my ways, you're going to direct my paths. There seems to be storms in my paths right now, God. I don't understand it. But you said, if I keep my eyes fixed upon you and don't try to figure it out, don't lean on my own understanding, you are going to direct my paths to these storms. You are going to bring me through these storms. Who here has been called by God? 
Oh, more of you than that, folks. Who has been called by God in this house today? Who has been called by God to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world? We all have. If you have Christ Jesus in your life, we all have. That is your call. That is what you have been called to. And what he has set out to begin and start in you, what does Philippians 1, 6 say? What he has begun, he will complete. Who believes that today? Well, who believes it? Seriously, who believes that? We say, yeah, that's right. That's what the word says. Folks, we can't let the word stop here. We've got to live the word here. We've got to live knowing he's going to bring this to completion. He is going to bring this to completion. Oh, but I just don't know. He's going to bring it to completion. Verse 30 says this. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you can't be saved. Paul's basically saying, look, God's got a plan here. My life, he's going to use in Rome. And he makes clear in the word, and he's graciously, because you guys are with me, you get to be saved too. If you want to bail now because it's getting hard, everybody's going down. Now, how many people, including my hand raised, have wanted to bail when it gets hard? And how many know if we have bailed before? Not only has it taken us down, it's really messed with people around us too, hasn't it? I'm not going to bail. I'm not. You know, I had a, a wedding this weekend in Lexington, so <laughs> you guys ready for this one? I put 212 miles on my car yesterday simply to have a wedding in Lexington. <laughs> the folks offered to put us up in a hotel uh, Friday night. It's so gracious of them. And so we, I, uh, the way things worked out, though, it happened kind of last minute. So I drove down at 4 o'clock to go to the rehearsal in Lexington, then turned around after rehearsal dinner, came back to pick my wife up right after she was able to disperse our children. Remember, we cannot just rely on one babysitter. We have to have multiple, we have to have villages to help with our children. And so once we dispersed them, I was able to take her back down at 9 o'clock at night, to the, and we went to the hotel. As I'm pulling into the hotel, and I turned the car off, I looked at her, and I said, you're not going to believe this. She said, what? She said, I left my, I said, I left my suit hanging in the bathroom. So that's all right. We're not going to dampen ourselves. I looked at you know, we looked at each other. Hey, you want to do something tonight? It's just us. We walked into the room, and it's this big old suite, you know. It's like, wow, awesome. You want to do anything? And she's like, sure, what? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I said, you just want to go to bed? Yeah. <laughs> Turn the TV on. So, you know, we're, we're such the party animals, aren't we? It was very nice. But tons of time taken driving, but tons of time taken well spent with the Lord. It was a lot of windshield time with the Lord. And um, he began to walk me through the last eight months of my life here where I've tried to bail, where I've tried to run inside of myself, tried to hide, tried to uh, 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 avoid all things in all ways, everything. 
And as I'm studying this, he's making clear, okay, now, buddy, unless these men stay with the ship and don't bail, you nobody's going to be saved. And that doesn't just go for me. It goes for all of us. And I love what the soldiers did then in 32. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. What do you think of that? You're in the middle of a huge storm. The boat's got nothing left. And the only hope might be those lifeboats that the soldiers just cut, and they're just going that direction without anybody in them. I have no plan B now. Remember, there's not many believers on that ship, if any, maybe just one. But folks, please don't miss this. We have got to have faith to stand on his promises or else we're going to bail. We have to have faith to stand on what he has declared or we're going to try to fix it and mess it up. Who hears that right now? That's for me to hear too. I'm telling you, I'm speaking to myself today, big time. So Acts 27, let's move quickly to 42. What happens in verse 42? The soldiers plan to kill the prisoners because the ship is now broken up. So the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But fortunately, the main soldier, the centurion, had such a deep respect for Paul, and I believe it was a God-given respect, that the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept him, kept the soldiers from carrying out the plan. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overhead, uh, overboard first and get to land. Verse 44, the rest were to get there on planks or on any other pieces of the ship. Folks, this is in the middle of the hurricane, okay? And I love the last sentence of 27. In this way, everyone reached land safely. To God be the glory. How many would run, uh, lay out a safety plan like that for a ship? You go on a cruise and they say, now we'd like to meet with you for the first half hour to go over safety measures. Here it is. If this boat starts to sink, everybody who can swim, jump out. If you can't, wait till the boat breaks up and grab something. Oh, you know, safety-conscious America. We would have to cling to our contracts that we just signed in blood. God doesn't work the way we work, amen? Anybody glad? Sometimes we're not. But I'm glad that he always does what he does and completes what he completes. So, Paul and the, the crew gets washed ashore to Malta on Malta. It was the backside of Malta, not where the normal harbor in Malta was, but the backside. So, this wasn't... New, this was kind of new to all the, sa- the sailors and whatnot. But it was interesting. They get there and they build a fire because they're all wet. And the enemy, how many know they have an enemy? How many know that? Yeah. And your enemy doesn't have flesh or blood. Who might know that? Really, the only enemy you have does not have flesh or blood. The enemy, one last ditch effort, pulls out collecting wood to build a fire. And a viper grabs hold of his hand. And what I love about it was this. I thought, you know, at first I thought, well, maybe, you know, I, I know the poisonous snakes bite, but that doesn't mean they always put venom in. They'll just bite quick and back away. But they specify very, very clearly um, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand. This snake didn't take a little nibble. This viper hung on and put every bit of poison it could in Paul. And I find it interesting it was a snake, too. Very symbolic, huh? Last-ditch effort to take Paul out so he couldn't get to Rome and declare the gospel. What did he do with the snake? Walked over to the fire and said, 
burned the snake up and never felt one pain, never experienced one bit of issue. Praise be to God. It says, when the islanders saw the snake hanging on from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire, suffering no ill effects. Then people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he must be a god. Wow. You just went from murderer to god. From sinner to saint. Hey, when you bypass God, it's that confusing. When you bypass God, it can get that confusing. So the enemy tried that one last ditch effort, but guess what? God's purpose and plan is going to be fulfilled. So they hang out in Malta. Believe it or not, Paul heals a bunch of people, including the, the kind of the governor of the island, the leading citizen of the island. His father healed him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then after three months, I believe it was, three months, they went back out to sea and finally got to Rome. So he has an opportunity. He shares with the local Jewish leaders there in Rome. And some were convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. Others were, would not believe. But he makes very clear, Paul makes very clear in verse 28, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And I love how he says it. And they will listen. Says this to the Jewish council. They will listen. So what I'd like us to do as we wrap this thing up, I'd like us all to read the last verse of Acts, the book of Acts. It's Acts 28, 31. And we're just going to read this together. I'm reading out of NIV. It's okay if you read other translations. Let's just read this together. Ready? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. The end? Hello? 1979, there was a little show. Showed up. I can't remember what network it was. Don't ask me if I watched it, although I did watch one particular show at that age. 79, a little show called Dallas came out. Anybody remember Dallas? Had the coolest theme song in the world. Pretty popular in first season. Second season, it soared to popularity. And so the producers, not wanting to mess around with the ratings and wanted to make sure that they really uh, do something good. At the end of the second season, I believe it was, um, when the ratings were already through the roof, they decide in the last episode that Larry Hagman's character, I can't remember, J.R., was going to get shot. And that's how the show ended that, that, that season. Down goes J.R. Nobody knows who did it. To be continued. So that whole summer... I mean, people went nuts. People went nuts. They had the T-shirts, who shot Jr. Republicans actually had, uh, I understand, some of the Reagan Republicans had a button that said, I shot J or Democrats shot Jr. That's what it said. Queen Elizabeth was visited by Larry Hagman, the guy who played Jr. during the summer. And as he was doing whatever you do when, with the queen, I guess you kneel, and I don't know what you do. But she leans into him and whispers, she said, you wouldn't perhaps be willing to tell the Queen of England who shot Jr. So much so that that night, in the fall, when that episode came on, everybody was ready to find out who shot Jr. Even in Turkey, the country of Turkey canceled their government work that evening to watch. What happened? 
The buildup was so huge because it was this cliffhanger to be continued. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Took the world by storm. Guess what else? You want to hear the greatest cliffhanger ever? It's right at the end of Acts chapter 28. To be continued. To be continued by who? Everybody get their pointy finger out. And turn it right on yourself. If you are Jesus, it's being continued, supposed to be continued by you. 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 There's a ministry out there called Acts chapter 29, or Acts 29. And I've heard people say, well, there's not 29 chapters in Acts. You want to know why I call it Acts 29 ministries? Because we are the continuation of Acts chapter 28. You know, I've really, I sat back and thought, I really want to be an Acts 29 church, don't you? I want to be known as an Acts 29 church. I don't want to be an Acts chapter 2 church that just stopped there. I don't want to be just an Acts chapter, you know, chapter 5 verse that's now shaking in their shoes because Ananias and Sapphira died. I don't want to be an, another church that's just waiting for everybody else to get rose up to go do the work that God's already called you and I to do. I want to be an Acts 29 church. How many, how, how many people are with me on that? Acts 29. I want to be that. Because what have we been called to do? To fulfill the gospel, or, or, or to, to declare the gospel, to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, to point people to the good news. And here's the thing. And I know some people seem to be scared when I ask you to raise your hands. I have a reason for it. People need to see that others are right there with you. You follow me? That's why I do that. So I'm going to ask you, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, then your calling, your first calling in whatever you're doing, teacher, worker, Leader, president, whatever you're doing, your main calling in whatever you're doing is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Amen? For those of you, hang firm to what you stand on, wherever God sends you, whatever God does through you and in you. But we're believers first, amen? I ask you to be in prayer for me. I ask you to be in prayer for those that are working with me in the church development evangelism team um, because I am praying for Mighty Move, but if not, and this is I just want you guys to understand this, uh, we're prayerfully considering, Lord, what's next? You follow me? What's next? We don't know. We as White Hill don't know. We don't know what's next. But I'm going to tell you what, I do know that God has called me, David Chapel, to present the gospel. Once again, to those that maybe have heard it before, but there are a lot of our churches, whether they're brethren, whether they're Baptist, whether they're um, Presbyterian, that have never really heard the gospel. And so I'm using this as that opportunity. For you guys, in your workplace, preach the gospel. How do I do that? Well... Trust that the Lord is going to empower you to do so. How many have Jesus Christ in your life? How many have been told you're to preach the gospel? Because of the word, okay? And he said, I'll empower you to do it, right? And what he begins in you, he will bring to completion, right? How many work? Raise your hands. 
How many work? Right there is the place you preach the gospel. How many have a family at home? Preach the gospel. How many have neighbors? Preach the gospel. How many people have enemies? Preach the gospel. And you're supposed to do it all, speaking the truth according to Ephesians in love. Whitehill, I want to be an Acts 29 church to be continued with Whitehill, to be continued with the churches in Stewart's Draft, the churches in Augusta County, the churches in Virginia, the churches in the United States. Hey, you know what the churches in Africa are doing right now? They're sending missionaries over here to the U.S. Boy, they are just some burning up people over there. This is why a lot of the liberal agenda in some of the denominations is failing right now because they went out to the mission field in Africa decades ago, shared the gospel. The church is so exploded in standing on the word of God. They come over here for conferences, and the liberal agenda can't make it because these guys are over here saying, that's not what the word says. Praise God for Africa. Praise God for our believers over there. But that all started because somebody shared the gospel. Share the gospel. Share the gospel, the good news. I'm standing here right now. <laughs> the Lord just confirmed to me. I've been asking God for a week, two weeks, three weeks, ever since Megan Sharp said, what are we doing after Acts? So we go, yeah, God, what are we doing? I'm afraid that there are some people in here that don't really know the gospel. And all that it is. Because if we truly did, we'd be in. We'd want to know, not who shot Jr. We'd be in awe of having the opportunity to share this good news. Amen. Amen. I want to be an Acts 29 church. How about you? Lord, here we are. Here we are. I see what you did to Paul. <laughs> yeah. I see what you did through to Paul, through Paul. I see how you used Paul. But Lord, there are people here today that you have called. If they are in you, abiding in you, you've called them. And Lord, you want to take us beyond right now. Beyond just being comfortable being church. You want to take us right now to where you've called us to go. Go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel. I pray blessing over every individual here today that the Lord is pricking at your heart, poking at your heart, saying, yep, that's you. I have called you. I want to use you. I pray for every person that as they leave this place, that God use you You're amongst your neighbors, amongst your um fellow workers uh, amongst all those that you come in contact with. But not by our own efforts, but because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are able then to continue the work of Jesus. Lord, I pray for a harvest this fall. And I'm going to pray first for a harvest within White Hill. That we begin to see lives so upended because of what it is that you have done in spite of what's going on. And then, Lord, I want to give you glory and honor in Jesus' name that those same lives are then used in mighty ways to minister to the lost and dying 
in Augusta County, in Stewart Strath, in Waynesboro. Lord, you have not called us to play church. You've not called us to be a church. You've called us to be the church. And here we are. To God be the glory. Now, I thank you, Lord, that we have spent three months diving into 28, uh, 28 chapters of a book that displays your might and your power of declaring your gospel and continuing your mission, Jesus. So, Father, here we are, just wanting to continue to be a part of that. We surrender ourselves to you. Lord, I just pray right now for any here today that don't know you. I speak very clearly in this. Romans, I'm sorry, John 15, 5 says, Without Christ, we can do nothing. And that includes experience heaven. We must, by faith, believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he says he did and has given us what he says he has given us. By faith, we must believe that, cling to that, repent of our sin that we have lived in and been driven by and repent to truth that Jesus has paid it all. Praise be to God. We take hold of you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill every person in this place. Rain down in might and power. I'm praying for Pentecost just to fire this place up in Jesus' name. To God be the glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we praise you. Continue your work. And may you be glorified through every cell of our being. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's rise, hug on somebody, have a wonderful week.